if you can hear me, you can turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. Man, I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I'm a little tired from the camp out. My family and I went for, it was only one night, but when I go camping, that first night's like bad sleep, and then I get so tired I sleep really well, and all I got was the bad sleep night. So <laughs> I'm tired, I have a headache, I just downed some coffee, so, uh, uh, yep, we'll... Yeah, I'm going to, right? I'm going to consider it pure joy. Uh, I, okay, I don't watch a ton of movies, or that's not true. I watch movies with my kids, right? So it's not like movies that I'm like, yeah, I want to go see that movie. So I missed this movie. I don't know if you saw it. It came out in 2006. Uh, I believe it's called Click uh, with Adam Sandler. Interesting, uh, interesting premise. Again, I didn't see it. I, I heard about it. I'm like, oh, that's different. I read the, the synopsis. So Adam Sandler, from what I understand in, uh, in Click, uh, he's, got, he's got a good life. Right, he's he's got a, a family. He's got a wife he loves. He's got kids that uh, that are great. He's got a good job. Like everything uh, is going pretty well for him. And somehow he connects with this guy who's an inventor. And I, I missed that part of the story. But uh, the the inventor gives him this universal remote, and it's not for his TV. It's not for any smart devices. It's for his life. And and what he can do is he can, he can fast forward or he could re- rewind. And he starts, like life is good for him, but there are parts he's like, man, this is kind of boring. This is mundane. And, and so he, he starts really just skipping through rapidly uh, through, through more, the more boring parts of life, right? And, 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 and the, the whole moral of the story is like he realizes like, oh man, I, I missed so much of my life. And he, I think he actually goes back to, to relive those in normal speed. And, and I, was, I was thinking, man, with this, with this passage on trials, I just wonder how many of us, maybe even right now, just wish not because life is boring, but because life's been really hard. Just wish, man, I, I wish I could go three times speed, five times speed, ten times speed. Just, just skip that whole chapter and, and zoom straight ahead. Well, God has something for us in trust. So let's, let's read this together. I know Matt read part of the passage, but I'm going to start in verse 2, and we'll go all the way through 18. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted 
when he's lured and enticed by his own desire than desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, so James tells us here, hey, you're gonna face trials, right? And he tells us, he tells us we can have joy in those trials and, and here's a reason why he's gonna give that to us. He tells us who is with us in these trials and, and who, who that is, who our God is. But he starts right out the gates strong, right? Can consider it pure joy. There's no on-ramp. He just, he's like that friend that when you get in the car, they just floor it. James is, is uh, he's wasting no time here. And my guess is that that's because he knows who he's writing to, right? James knows that life is hard. And these, these people, um, uh, these Jewish Christians that have been dispersed, man, they know life is hard. Many of them, as they receive this letter, are in the midst of, of trials. And, and James says, man, you're, you're going to meet trials, right? It is going to happen. So if you, if you weren't with us last week, why are these Jews dispersed? Well, uh, a, a number of them are dispersed because of the, the Christian persecution that came. We, we read about it back in Acts chapter 8. So many of them lost land. Uh, they lost possessions. Uh, when, when they'd go to a new land and they'd meet uh, other Jews, right, uh, they were rejected by them as soon as these Jews found out that they believed in Jesus. The Gentiles rejected them too. They were, they were taken to court. They were, uh, they were, they were used and abused. Um, life was hard for them. So they knew trials. They knew that James was right, that, that there, there would be trials throughout life. Yeah, but James is saying something wild here, right? He's saying that, that, that they need to count it or consider it joy when they face these trials. And, and there's a false version of Christianity that tries to sell this lie that if you trust Jesus, that life will be easy. Do not follow Jesus because you think life will be easy. Uh, follow Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Don't, don't follow him because you, you think it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it easier for you to get through life. No, in, in many ways, following Jesus will actually make life harder. But James says that, that in these trials, in this difficulty, we can have joy. Well, what kind of trials? Well, he says various trials, right? So all trials, uh, losing your job, uh, getting, getting a, a scary diagnosis, Losing a family member or watching a family member suffer from, from some horrible disease. Um, uh, it could be your family falling apart. It could be an unfaithful spouse, a, a broken friendship. It could be rumors being spread about you. It could be your kid cutting you out of their life or, 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 or not letting you near the grandkids, right? Every kind of trial that you have lived through or every kind of trial that you can imagine qualifies. And I know that for some in the room right now, I, I may not know what's going on in your life, but for some, you're in, you're in a trial right now. Maybe you just got into it. Maybe you've been in, in it for a, a long time. And, and maybe you feel like right now you are just barely holding on, 
right? You, you've been treading water just trying to keep your head above water for, for a long time now. Or, or people online, maybe that's why you're not here today. Like you just didn't even have it in you to, to get out of the house and, and come to church today. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're in the midst of storms and, and trials right now, man, cling to Jesus, right? Continue to cling to Jesus. Ask him to provide for you. Ask him to meet you in your suffering. And I would encourage you to be so bold as to ask him for joy in your trials. Now for others, you're not experiencing trials right now. Don't feel guilty about that. That, that is that is okay. So what I'm having you do today, what James is having you do today is, is, is like this theoretical exercise, but it's to prepare you for when you do face trials, right? And, and yes, there are probably things you could complain about today, but for the most part, man, life's pretty smooth sailing. You're, you're really enjoying life. But whichever category you fit into, whether you're in trials now or, or whether you uh, aren't and, and trials are coming, like it, none of us, None of us get to escape trials. And when James says, count it all joy, it sounds absurd to us. I remember the first time I read James as a high school student, and I'm just going, how is this even, what is he saying? Like, how, how can this be in the Bible? It sounded like something from a raving lunatic, right? But James, he's not commanding us, like, to be masochists. He understands what trials are like. He understands the pain, the emotion, the suffering, right? He, he gets that. I think of uh, Jesus uh, when Lazarus died, right? Do you remember Jesus, uh, how he felt about what was happening? Like he, he did not like the, the evil of death, right? That, that sin had marred creation. He was not happy uh, about it. So, so we know it's okay to, to recognize trials as being hard and, and, and negative and, and even bad. And yet, yet James says we can count it as joy. And, and you can see uh, just with his word choice here, it, it might say count is what the ESV says or, or yours might say consider. But he's telling us, hey, there's a choice to be made here, right? That, that we, can, uh, we can shift our perspective to joy. And he isn't saying that, that you, you have to enjoy your trials, like that, that you enjoy that, that cancer diagnosis. No, but, but he understood what the author of Hebrews understood. Hebrews 12, 11 says this. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He isn't saying that, you know, we, we, we do a backflip and we get fired from our job, though maybe you are pretty happy that you got fired from that particular job. But he's commanding us to make a deliberate decision as those who have trusted in God to, to seek and experience joy even in times of great difficulty and trouble. And it's because of who God is. It's because he is at work that, that that's even possible. Um, Paul, 2 Corinthians 7, 4. He said, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. He said, in all our affliction, right? And we, we read uh, about a, a lot of Paul's affliction in Acts. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. If there's a Christian that knew affliction, it was Paul. 
And he, he talks about the joy that even in the midst of that, that he experiences. Well, James helps us understand how that's even possible in verses three and four, right? The for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he says, and let that, that steadfastness or, or endurance or perseverance, let that have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God uses the testing of our faith to grow us. He, he matures us through trials, through storms. It's like a, the, the gold nugget. I don't know, did any of you watch that show Gold Rush? Like it was kind of popular for a while on Discovery Channel. One person, thank you. Three of us. All right, it was good. It, the first few seasons were good. Anyway, they, they, they dig up all this dirt, right, where they thought there might be gold, and then they separate the dirt and the rocks, and, and they get it down to these gold nuggets. But even the gold, once they found the nuggets, like it, it, needed, it needed work. It needed to be refined. So they, they put it in this hot furnace, and they melt it down, and it, it, it draws out the pure gold, right? Our, our trials are, are like that. God is testing, he's testing our faith. And my guess is that you probably know someone that at one time they said they believed in God, right? Maybe, maybe specifically they said, I trust in Jesus. And then life got really hard. I mean, hard, hard stuff hit them. And, and they, they walked away. They, they rejected God. They said, man, if that's, if that's what God's going to let me go through, then, then I'm out of here but if you've been a part of a church for a while, you also know people, and, and once you hear their story, like, man, like they have been through it, right? They've been through such great difficulty, and, and what they have done, their faith has been tested, and they cling to Christ, right? That, that dross has been burned away, and what remains is their faith. We don't like trials. I do not like trials. And yet, we cannot deny that God uses trials to grow us, right? God is using trials to mature us. James says he's, he's making you perfect and complete, not lacking anything. Now, uh, none, of, none of us are there, right? God's doing this throughout our whole lives. Actually, I'm so glad to see uh, Diane. Uh, uh, when was your mom's memorial service? Okay, it was, I couldn't remember. Um, your mom at about, how old was, was Eunice when she died? 97, 97, I got to do her service. And my favorite part was uh, her story, somewhere in her 80s, I, I think it was like 85 or so. God, she was already a believer, been a believer for a long time. And God radically changed her, just radically grew her, like in her 80s. And I'm sitting there going, man, like I just, it's stupid, and I know it doesn't work this way, but I kind of imagine, like, if I make it to my 80s, I'm doing pretty good, right? Like, God's grown me a ton, and yeah, I hear about Eunice, and the whole family just talked about how radically God had changed her in, in the, that last, like, decade of her life. She was just a different person with the Lord. God continues to work on us all throughout our lives. Like none of you have arrived if you think you have. I certainly have not arrived. But God, he's, he's, 
He's maturing us, right? He's equipping us to be used in his kingdom, right? For, for eternal purposes. And just a quick little side note here. Um, I hope this encourages you because as I've been thinking about it, it encourages me. Uh, someone asked the question, man, what gets tested? Well, it's things that are useful, right? Things that have a purpose. So imagine like a, uh, someone designing a car, right? For, for like Ford or whoever. They're designing like the first, the first kind of, of this model, right? And they're, they're testing this thing. You know what they don't test? They don't test the scrap metal that they, that, that's no longer a part of this design, right? That's done. What they're testing is what is going to be used, right? And they put it through all kinds of tests because this car, maybe it's going to go over rough terrain or, or it needs to be able to drive really fast for hours upon hours. It needs to handle these sharp curves. Like that's what is tested, what is, what is useful. And as I pointed out really briefly earlier, James James says it's, it's when you face trials, right? Not, not if, right? Trials will come in the life of every Christ follower. And in this letter, like I said, it's written to the dispersed Christians. And in every Christian, you're going to have uh, those times, those, those dyspora experiences where maybe you feel isolated or, or rejected or uh, disenfranchised or, or alienated, right? You're gonna face difficulty. You're gonna face tragedy and joy it seems irrational in times like that. And yet in Christ, it is perfectly rational, right? He says, for you know, at the beginning of verse three, and we don't like it, but we know he's right. We do know that trials do test our faith. We know, we know what a great instructor pain is, right? That, that we grow when life is hard. I don't know if you respond this way, but I, I know I tend to respond this way when life is going well. When, when my life is going well, I tend to take way too much credit for how my life is going, right? I tend to think that it's because of some wisdom I have or skills that I've developed or, or my hard work ethic. So let's say, for example, that my marriage is just going through a really healthy, good time. Well, I would think that because I'm a part of it, that I'm, I'm a big reason for why my marriage is going well, right? That, that I'm, I'm probably a really good guy to be married to. I probably make marriage pretty easy, but here's what's really happening in reality. My wife is super gracious, right? She's, she's patient with me, right? She deals with my, my little mood swings, my idiosyncrasies, right? And, and, and I don't see uh, like all the times that my wife is praying for me, that she's on her knees praying that, that God would strengthen me and give me what I need to be, to be a husband, to be a dad, to be a pastor, to be a good neighbor, right? My marriage might be healthy at times in spite of me, not because of me. But from my vantage point, because I'm a part of it, it must be me, right? I, I, I take too much credit. When we're, when we're on that mountaintop, what, what so many of us, maybe all of us tend to do is really forget about God, not even look to God. Or if, or if we've been in church long enough, maybe we pay him some lip service. I don't know if you relate to taking too much credit when, when, when you're on the mountaintop, but, but I know I do that. But man, when we get in that valley, we're ready. We're ready to cry out to God. When, when life gets hard, at least if we have any sense, we turn to God, right? And trials have a way of showing us that we are really not in control. Actually, a brother in Christ just said that to me this morning, 
right? And it's an opportunity to turn to the one who is in control. And this is the gift of trials. In trials, we are made acutely aware, or at least it's an opportunity for us to be made acutely aware of our great need for God. And it happens in a way that, that it just doesn't seem to happen when, when life is going really well, when we're on that mountaintop. And I don't like that, you don't like that, but we both know it's true. None of us need to think very hard to recognize how God has used difficulty in life to shape us. Right? Like we, we can look back and, and, and remember like how, how hard that season of life was. And, and we, man, we hated it. And, and yet we can look back and see how, how God used that to mold us and to shape us. And, and now we can see like how, how God used that time actually to prepare us for this time. Right? And, and how he, I don't know, maybe he used us to help someone else that went through something really similar. Right? And we got to walk through that with, with them. But we never would have been ready if God hadn't used that, that first trial to shape us and mold us. I had, a, I had a friend several years ago, he lost his job, and he was, uh, he was just devastated by it. Right? Maybe you've lost a job before, and, and you're, you're trying to provide for your family, and you're like, man, what am I going to do? He was, he was devastated. And, and I, uh, I couldn't help but wonder if this might be the best thing to happen to him. And I was thinking about this passage. I was praying these things for him. He, I wasn't ready to say it. He wasn't ready to hear it. But this is what I was, I was praying through James 1 for him. And I was thinking not, not even just his career, although uh, God was using this to, to move his career too, but, but really him as a follower of Jesus, right? This is going to be hard for him, but God was going to grow him through it. And, and sure enough, this is what God did, like just, just as James describes. Right? And God has done that in your life too. If you've walked with Jesus, I'm confident of that. And if we're honest, right, some of those lessons that we've learned through trials, we might have never learned those lessons. Or if we did, the timetable without those trials would have been so much longer because trials, uh, they greatly accelerate our growth. Um, but that growth certainly isn't automatic. Right? Like, like we, could, we could walk away from God in that trial or, 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 or we, could, we could let bitterness take root in us and, and really fight against what God is doing and, and delay what God is doing. That is, that is a choice. But the testing of our faith, it's meant to produce this, this steadfastness, right? Or, uh, or perseverance or endurance. But it is not, it is not automatic. Verse five, and, and I don't, I don't, James isn't switching topics here. It might seem like that, but he's not doing that. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him, right? This is in the context of trials. And like I said earlier, hopefully our response when trials come is, is we, we have our eyes on Jesus, right? So we ask for wisdom, he says. And, and sometimes in the middle of the storm, Right? We, we, can't, we can't see far ahead, right? Like you've driven through a, a physical storm like that, whether it's fog or rain, and like normally you could go like 60 and you've got to slow down to like 40 or maybe even 35 because it's, it's just so dense. And, and, and James, James says, man, in that storm, ask God for wisdom. And, and he says that God gives generously. This phrase here, actually, it, it reads, uh, let him ask the, the constantly giving God, 
right? I love that description uh, of God. And, and James does that throughout this passage. He's reminding us of who this God is that, that is with us, that walks through trials alongside us. James, uh, James is telling us, man, this, this God that, you, that I'm telling you to ask uh, ask for wisdom. He's the constantly giving God. He isn't stingy, right? Do you have friends that, man, they're just so giving, right? They just, they constantly give. Like we have these friends in our lives and, and we don't even get to see them that much. Um, so it's not like we're super close, but they're just the most generous people I've ever met. Like we, we cannot see them without receiving some kind of gift from them, like, like some special treat that they baked or, or some, some thing that they were on a trip and they saw it and they thought we needed that for, for whatever reason. Like they're constantly just giving, giving, giving. And yet, man, they're as generous as they are. They're nothing like our God, the constantly giving God. So James tells us, ask for wisdom. And he says, ask in faith, which makes sense. But then it gets confusing here. He says, but without doubting. Right, because the one who doubts is, is like a wave, right? It makes sense. We, we don't want to be like the wave, right? We don't, we don't want to be people that are just tossed back and forth wherever the wind and the tides are, are taking them, right? He, he says, no, that, that person's unstable. They're, they're a double-minded person, and certainly we do not want that. We want to be firmly rooted. We want to have faith, right? And everyone struggles at times with doubt as a Christian. So verse five sounds great. And then verse six and seven could seem like, like a downer here, like, oh, I can't do that. But, but here's what's going on. It's, it's a, it's a two-part prayer, kind of a three-part prayer, but I'll show you what I mean here. So part one is God, give me wisdom, right? Then part two A is increase my faith, right? Give me, give me more and more faith. And then two B is decrease my doubts. And I know I bring up Mark chapter 9, uh, this story that, that is in Mark 9 that I just love. I feel like I bring it up two or three times a year. Um, it's because I just so relate to the dad in this passage. I'll, I'll make it a, a short story. But uh, this, this dad comes up to Jesus. His son is uh, afflicted uh, by demons. And, and he's asking Jesus to heal his son. And as he asked Jesus to heal his son, he, he has this Freudian slip, right? He, he, he reveals uh, how, how he's thinking and feeling. He says, if you can heal him, right? And Jesus is like, whoa, if, if, if I can heal him, man, all things are possible, Jesus says, for the one who believes. And then I love this, it's a prayer that, that the dad cries out. He says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And I, I just so relate to that prayer. It brings me so much comfort. I hope it brings you comfort too, right? I hope that we can let go of feeling like we have to have it all together. It's a, it's a cultural thing, not even just a church culture thing, though it's in the church. It's a cultural thing that, that we, we need to look like we have it all together. And here in Mark 9, we, we have permission, right? Our faith isn't perfect yet, right? That, that all of us, all of us will doubt God in different ways at different times. And I guarantee, right, every one of us struggles with doubt way more than we let on. And I just love this man's simple, honest prayer. And uh, some of you memorize scripture, maybe some of you just say, man, my, my brain, 
I can't do it. I can't do that like I used to be able to. You can memorize this little prayer. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Because we don't want to be double-minded, right? We, we, we don't want to be like this wave tossed back and forth. Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. God, I need you to increase my faith and decrease my doubts. I need you to destroy my doubts. God, I am at my wit's end. I'm overwhelmed. I know that you are good. And at the same time, God, I doubt it. Or maybe don't doubt God's goodness, but maybe you, maybe you doubt that God is, is actually with you, right? Because you, you, can't, you can't feel him like at other times you've been able to feel him. Or, or maybe you don't doubt that. Maybe you know he's with you, but it just doesn't seem like he cares at all about you. Or maybe you doubt that he actually can provide what you need. W whatever it is, right, this prayer that James has given us is increase my faith, decrease my doubts. Doubts are one of the battlefronts that, that we face in trials. Like you, we've got to be ready for that battle. We've got to know that the doubts will creep in and that we, we need to fight them with, with, with the word, with truth. Verses 9 through 11 give us a, another uh, battlefront. He says, let the lowly brother ex uh, boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation. Right? There these, these, uh, it's a pair of paradoxes. And someone labeled them this way, and it's actually really helpful for me. Maybe it will be for you. Uh, James, James talks about the poor rich and then the rich poor, right? The, the lowly brother, the poor rich, he's, he's to boast in, in, in this richness that he has, and, and the rich poor is to boast in his humiliation. So here's what it is. And, and I can't help but think that James has the Beatitudes, Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 5, in mind. Right? The, the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, James is writing to beat up Christians that, that with material wealth, man, they are very, very poor. And James is saying, boast. Boast in your exaltation, right? Boast that you know the Lord. You have, you have riches. You are the, the, the poor by worldly standards, but rich by God's kingdom standards. And then he tells, he tells the rich, man, you've got all this wealth, but man, you have, you're going to have poverty spiritually if you're not careful, if you're not looking to God. So the rich, poor, God, um, God throughout Scripture like really warns the rich. And maybe you don't feel rich, man, go to a third world country and you realize how rich every American is. Like there's such wealth here. And there's these warnings in scripture, right? Remember when Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than, than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Riches fool us, right? Riches fool us into thinking that we're good on our own, that we have everything that we need, that we don't need God. Revelation 3, 17, Jesus says, he says, for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This second battlefront in trials so often is, is the battlefront of comparison, right? Like we can look around at what we do have or what we don't have, and we compare it to others, right? It goes both ways. And, and social media, I think, has just heightened um, this, 
this, this battle of comparison. There's so many studies uh, now and, and have been for several years, particularly on, on young people and the impacts of social media, right? And, and they're connecting it to just the, the rise in anxiety and depression for young people. But it isn't just affecting young people. It's affecting all of us. And I would even say, even if you're not on social media, it just, it is, it culturally, it is, it is impacting every one of us, right? We, we look and we see people that, that, that seem to have it all together, right? The, the, the finances, the, the family, the, I don't know, the adventures, the epic vacations, right? They, they post pics that, that look amazing, right? But what they didn't post was the 20 pics before when like one sibling was punching another sibling or like like we we've kept a couple of those pictures where like one kid is just bawling their eyes out and then the next picture that we send on the christmas card like they're happy right like nobody posts the the fail pics or at least not many people do but we're, we're tempted to compare uh all the time we want to have it all together and we can easily miss the poverty of spirit that recognize no i need god Right, and this illustration here, he goes into the, the grass, the, the flower of the field that gets scorched by the heat. It's, it's directed at the rich. There's a strong warning here. This battle of comparison goes both ways. You can be fooled into thinking that, that you do not have what you actually need, right? That, that you need all the things of this world. Or you can be fooled into thinking, yep, I, I do have everything I need. I have everything that this world wants and miss that you need Jesus. So don't, don't fall in the battle of comparison. James 13, man, James just knows us so well, right? During trials, we can be tempted to blame God. Right? God, you're in control. And so this is all your fault. I'm being tempted by God. Are spiritual attacks real? Yes, yes, spiritual attacks are real. And, and, and most of the time, though, we, we, we don't need the enemy to trip us up, right? Man, James points out that we're great at tempting ourselves. It's, it's not God. It, maybe it's not even the devil. It, it's ourselves, right? In a trial, what can often happen in, instead of turning to God, what we do is, is we tempt ourselves, right? We can get bitter, and so we, we self-medicate, right, in any number of ways. We, we turn to, you know, these, these addictive things. Man, that's not God doing it. That, that's you, right? You lured yourself. I lured myself into, into thinking that this thing over here that isn't God will make me feel better. God is not your enemy. He's not the one tempting you. He's with you in the trials. Don't fall for it. Don't blame him, what you need to do is cling to Jesus. I need to cling to Christ. He's the one that gets us through the trial. He's the one that's, that's growing us through this. Then 16 and 17, another reminder of who this Jesus is. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change, right? In the midst of the storm, like I said, it, it's hard to see. It, it can be so hard to see that, that we try and fill in the blanks of the narrative, trying to figure out what's going on to make sense of what we're experiencing. Right? We're not to get fooled by our doubts. We're not to get fooled by comparison. Right? We're not to get fooled into thinking that God's the one that's tempting us. Right? Don't think that God isn't there, that he doesn't love you. No, God is with you. And, and every good thing that you have, every perfect gift, it comes from God. And as I look back at, at the hardest times in my life, and, and my guess is you can do the exact same thing, 
man, maybe I couldn't see it in the moment, but I look back and I can see God provided this for me. You know, and, and maybe it was maybe it was way beyond what I needed, or maybe it was just what I needed for that exact moment. But but every hard time in my life, I can look back now and see, oh man, God was doing this in me, and I, I didn't even know it. Right? I, I I felt all alone, but in reality, there were people praying for me. Some I knew about, maybe some I didn't. Or or my wife was with me, or my friend was with me, or or God ordained just providentially that that conversation to happen in that that moment that I needed. God 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 gives us what we need. Um, we pray as a family every night. Um, and, and sometimes uh, my, my youngest daughter, I mean, there's just something about little kids praying that they just think to pray of things that I wouldn't think to pray of. And don't get me wrong, sometimes she just, she'll pray something like, you didn't even think through that. Like you said that eight nights in a row. Like really thank God now. But sometimes she just, she surprises me the, the way she thinks about things. So, so she'll, like if it's rainy outside, right? She'll, she'll, She'll say, God, thank you that we live in a house. I'm like, oh, yes. Like, thank you that I'm not out under a tarp right now, like shivering. Like, God, thank you. Thank you that we have heat, right? I, I do take that for granted. But then she'll say something uh, on another night. She'll say, and she said this several times, God, thank you that we have doors. I'm like, oh, yes. I am grateful that I have doors, that I have doors with not just one lock, but I got a deadbolt and then whatever the other lock's called. Like, I, 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 I truly, I go to bed at night, like feeling secure. I, I just don't even think about God's provision and all kinds of things, even something like, like a door. And, and then certainly there are, there are other things that, that are so much more obvious to us that, that God gives us. And these, these good, these perfect gifts, they come from God, right? And, and I bet you can think back to just surprising ways that God has provided for you, surprising ways that, that God has gifted you, right? So surprising that you didn't even think to ask him for whatever this provision was. Every good thing that you have is, is from God. And James tells us, and he doesn't change. He's not like you and me. Right? Even the most rooted person, the, the most like concrete in their thinking and their beliefs, even that person changes. God doesn't change. God remains the same, and you can bank on that in the midst of, of whatever storm, whatever trial, whatever challenge. Right? You can depend on him. We, we, can, we can count it as joy because we know that God is at work. We can trust that God is growing us, that he's preparing us, he's maturing us. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more we can look back and, and see that. And it helps us to look forward to, even if it's just one step forward, we see God's goodness in growing us or we trust that that's what God is doing even when we can't see it. God, God does not leave you where you are. And James calls us to endure. Right? He calls us to endure these trials. That, that word he uses, steadfast, it can also mean endure. Here's what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12.3. And I just can't help but, but think that, that, um, that James is thinking along these exact lines. Consider him who endured, right? Same word as steadfast. Consider him who endured uh, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. God doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't done, right? Jesus has already suffered for us. As we go through 
life that's filled with storms, filled with difficulties. And, and at times, in, in those times of difficulty, you can't see what God could possibly be doing. Man, we can trust that he is at work. As we look to the cross, he used the, the worst thing ever, the most evil thing ever for good, right? To bring us great, great joy. So, so what is this? What does this mean for us? Like very practically, we're, we're talking about a, a, a book that is incredibly practical. Well, I, I'd say this, if you're in trials now or, or, or when you are in trials, man, don't, don't turn to the, to the right or the left. Man, keep your eyes fixated on Jesus, right? Keep, keep doing what he has told you to do. Keep loving people, keep serving people, keep, keep being a part of the church, right? And, and if you just come on Sundays, right, and you're not connected with anybody, man, take a risk. Like go maybe today, maybe next week, like invite someone from church to go get lunch or coffee or do something together. Like get, get to know people in your church. Walk through this life together. Lean into Christ, right? I encourage you, pray even when you, you feel like you don't have words to pray. We're told that the Spirit intercedes for us. Man, pray that God would help you endure. And maybe you're still stuck back on verse two where he says, consider pure joy. And that just sounds crazy to you. Man, pray that God would give you joy. In fact, I'd encourage you, ask someone to pray for you. If you can't utter that prayer because it, it just seems too outlandish, ask someone to pray on your behalf that, that God would give you joy in your trials. 